0: Lord, today is we're going to learn you, your word is like a mirror. When we look into your word, uh, Lord, it, it shows us just what we look like. Uh, sometimes that's not so good, Lord, and, and uh, but the good news is that your mirror has the power to change us, and that's what we're going to learn today. And I, I don't think there's a more important text in the Bible, Lord, than, than what we're looking at here. And So I just ask that, that by the power of your Holy Spirit that you, you bless our study today and and uh, Lord, uh, just show us how we can truly be changed into the image of Jesus Christ. It's in his precious name that I pray, amen. Most of you know the story of Snow White and you remember uh, in the story, the wicked queen every day goes to the mirror and asks the question, uh, mirror mirror on the wall, who's the fairest of them all? And, and you know the answer that the mirror gives her. Most of the days, the mirror says, my queen, you're the fairest of them all. But then one day the mirror gives her a different answer when she asked who the fairest of them all is and the mirror says Snow White is the fairest of them all. And you got to ask the question, I mean, why did the mirror give the queen such a blunt and disturbing answer? And, and the reason is because of that old adage, we know that, that mirrors can't lie. When you look into a mirror, it tells the truth. Sometimes that's not so good. Uh, but... Uh, it only tells the truth about what's going on on the outside. Uh, A lot of us would like to know what's going on on the inside, wouldn't we? Helen Alvarez in her poem Mirror, Mirror on the Walls uh, wants more from a mirror than just to tell her what's on the outside. Listen to what she says. Mirror, mirror on the wall, I have no outside secrets because you see them all. But mirror, mirror, what I really want to see is not my appearance but what's on the inside. Of me, So what she's asking is, is for a mirror that can show her what's going on in her heart. I mean, that would require a supernatural mirror. I mean, much more supernatural than the wicked queen's mirror. It would require something that would come from God. Do we have such a mirror? We sure do. And that's called the Word of God. And that's what James is going to show us today in, in our text in, in James chapter 1. So... So go with me there in James chapter one, and we'll be picking up there in verse number twenty-one to twenty-one today. So go with me to verse number twenty-one and listen to what James says. He says, "Therefore," and whenever we see the "therefore," what do we got to do? We got to ask what it's there for. We'll look at that in just a second. He says, "Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to." save your souls. Now, what James does in this verse, he actually gives us a conclusion to the first part of chapter one. In other words, what he's saying right there, he's saying, therefore, therefore, since we're going to have trials, remember he said in verse number two, count it all joy when you fall into trials, not if you fall into trials. Therefore, since we're going to have trials, and since we're blessed, James tells us, if we endure through those trials, and since we want to be patient in those trials, controlling our tongues and controlling our tempers, so that we act like children of God, therefore, if we want to do all of that, let us lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls so if we want to be able to endure trials if we want to be able to control our tempers if we want to be able to control our tongues then we've got to lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness now how do we know if we're filthy and if we're overflowing with wickedness how do we know that well we got to look in the mirror and what's the mirror the mirror is the word of god And when we do that, we take a spiritual bath. Uh, And the same word, and here's what's great about the word of God, the same word that shows us our overflow of wickedness and our filthiness, the same word can cleanse us from our wickedness. Isn't that exactly what the Bible says, that the blood of Christ cleanses us from all unrighteousness? But for that to work... Here's what we've got to do. What James is saying right here, you've got to make a choice. You've got to make, make a choice to lay aside all filthiness and wickedness. I mean, we've got to do our part. Uh, and uh, God's not going to make that choice for us. A lot of us sit around and we think, well, you know, if I just read the word, then I'm going to get cleansed. No, the blood of Christ does cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But at some point... We've got to make a choice to lay aside all of that wickedness. I mean, James is not telling us anything different from what the other apostles or, or Paul told us in, in their writings. I mean, they say the same thing. I mean, Paul says in Colossians chapter 3 verse 8, he says, But now you yourselves are to put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. You yourself." You're to make a choice, and you're to put it away. The author of Hebrews puts it this way. Flip back just a few pages there to chapter 12, verse 1. He says, let us lay aside all every weight and sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Now, here's the good news. God empowers us to resist the devil and to resist temptation. And to put away sin. He gives us the power to do that. But what we have to do. At the beginning of temptation. When our flesh tempts us. When the world tempts us. When the devil tempts us. At that very moment. We have to make a choice. To put that filthiness. And wickedness away. If we don't make that choice. God is not going to empower us. Let me give you maybe an example. Let's say that that you're struggling with. With uh, alcoholism and you go to the grocery store and you're going to you, you don't drink uh, Jack, Jack Daniels anymore you drink Diet Coke which is probably worse for you than Jack Daniels so you can apply this to Diet Coke too but, uh, but you don't, you don't want to drink anymore so you go down the aisle and you're getting your Diet Cokes and lo and behold right across the aisle from the Diet Cokes is the liquor aisle And you look and there's this great big bottle of Jack Daniels. And you look at it you say, oh man, I don't need that Jack Daniels. I'm not going to buy that Jack Daniels. It's going to cause me trouble. But it's just too good to pass by. And so you take that Jack Daniels and you put it into your grocery cart. And you go to the checkout line and you uh, buy that Jack Daniels. And you take that, you put that Jack Daniels in your car and you take it home and you put it in your cabinet. And you shut the cabinet door And then you fall on your face before God Lord help me not drink that Jack Daniels Now when should you have fallen on your face before God If you have a drinking problem When you were in that liquor aisle You should have done like Joseph When he ran from Potiphar's wife You should have gotten that car And ran as far away from there to Leaving your diet cokes behind And running as fast as you can Or could to get away From that Jack Daniels Now you can apply that to anything you can apply anything that's causing you trouble in your life. that's causing you to be wicked and filthy. You might can handle Jack Daniels. Most people can't, but you might can. But it might be something else. It might be lust. It might be too much entertainment. It might be, you know, it, it, there's a list of things that in and of themselves might not be so bad. But if they're causing you to be wicked and filthy, then they are bad. And so what do you have to do? From the very moment you're tempted with that thing, you have to make a choice to put it away, to put away uh, all uh, filthiness and unrighteousness. You know, I I know everybody wants that kind of power. We want the power from the very get-go to put away our sin. Where does that power come from? Well, he tells us right here in this verse. Where does it come from? it comes from the implanted word look at what he says therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word it's the implanted word that gives you the power to save your soul from wickedness it's the implanted word word first of all that saves your soul but it's also the implanted word which gives you uh, the power to save yourself from all filthiness and wickedness now What's the implanted word? What's he mean by the implanted word? That's that word logos. We've seen it on several occasions. Who, who is the logos? Jesus is the logos. So we have Jesus implanted in us when, when we're born again. We receive Jesus into our hearts. But it also, the implanted word speaks of this Bible that you're holding in your hand. That's the implanted word. And, and that Jesus, the life of Jesus and this word of God working supernaturally in your heart gives you the power to lay aside all filthiness and wickedness. It gives you the power to save your soul. But, notice what he says there. It's not going to work unless you receive the implanted word with what? With what? What do you have to receive it with? With meekness. With meekness. You know, I, I know so many people that that they don't want anything to do with the Word of God because they're too proud. You know, I know better than, than this book. There are better books than this book. Men, there are, men have better ways than this way. Man, you you come to this word and you you say you and you say, well, I don't believe what it says about Jesus being the only way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to Him except no man comes to the Father except by Him. I don't believe that. Well, if you don't believe that. And you don't want to believe that. You're never going to receive the implanted word. If you come to this word and you say that Jesus is a good man and he's a, he's a great philosopher, but he's not God. Well, you're never going to receive the implanted word. If you come to this word and you say, well, yeah, you, you know, you believe this is truth, but I believe truth is relative. I believe, you know, I, I, I don't believe that that all truth is contained here. That, th- that this is really the truth of God. I believe You know, I'm going to pick and choose what I like in this word of God I'm going to pick and choose what I like and that's what I'm going to apply to my life but I don't believe this whole word is the word of God well if you come to the word that way you're coming to the word proudly and you're not going to receive the implanted word in your heart you know someone at this point and I I hear people say it all the time you know I don't believe that Jesus is the only way. I don't believe in the new birth. I don't believe in that, that's a bunch of hogwash. I don't believe that the Bible is the inerrant word of God, that it's absolute truth, I don't believe that. You know, my question back to that person always is, what if it is? What if you're wrong? If you're wrong, then you're in a boatload of trouble. Because the Bible speaks of people who don't believe in this world and who don't receive Jesus Christ will spend an eternity in hell. What if you're wrong? What if you're wrong? And let me tell you, there's only one way to find out if you're right. And that's to humble yourself and come to this word and hear this word and believe this word with meekness. And I promise you this, if you do that, anybody who's ever come to this word humbly and said, okay, Lord, if this is your word, Show me it's your word and show me it's truth. He will show you that it's truth. And that word will change you and you know that it has changed you when you're changed. You know you've been supernaturally changed. Now go to verse number 22. And here's where a lot of people go wrong with James. They misinterpret James. Look at verse number 22. I told you this was like the main point of of uh, of the book. Listen to what he says in verse number 22. He says, But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. That's a very important verse. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. See, the main point of this verse, if you look at this, and all the book of James, is not, as some say, that James is saying we're saved by works. He's not saying that at all. The main point that is if we're truly saved, then our faith is going to produce good works. Because faith without works, James will say later on, is dead. I mean, if you have real faith, it's going to produce good works. So, you know, from the very get-go, you've got to forget this idea that some people, even Luther himself said this is a different gospel from the gospel of Paul. It's not at all. This is not a different gospel. It's the same gospel. What James is saying right here, he's saying, receive the implanted word which is able to save you. Is he saying that your works save you? No. What saves you? The implanted word saves you. He's not saying that your works save you at all. But what happens if you receive the implanted word and you're saved, then you're going to be doers of good works. You become doers of, of the word. And you do the works that God has ordained for you to do. Now, this this is where other people come to this text and they also misinterpret it. They misinterpret this text as saying, man, if you're not out there doing great things for Jesus Christ, then you're not saved. If you're not doing great things like Jesus Christ, like I am, it's really what they're saying, then you're not saved. I mean if you don't drink and smoke around if you don't drink and smoke and fool around then then, then uh, I mean if, then, then you're okay you're a doer of the word that's another way people interpret that that's not what he's saying here at all actually the word he said for be there he says be doers of the word that is the Greek word that we that uh, it's a form of the Greek word or it's a Greek word that is a form of the word genesis. The, there's, the Greek Genesis is a Greek word. And what does that word mean? You ought to know from the book of Genesis. What does it mean? It means beginning. And so what he's saying right here, he's not saying, man, you've you got to be a super saint if you're really saved and not here is only. If you're not, then you're deceiving yourself. That's not what he's saying here at all. What he's saying here is you're to begin. You're to begin. It's a beginning. When you're saved, you're to begin to become doers of the word. Maybe the best translation there is, but become doers of the word and not hearers, only deceiving yourself. Isn't that the same thing that Paul says over in his gospels? The same thing that the other apostles say? Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. In fact, flip there. because We we, we go to this passage all the time and we, we quote the very first part of it. Go back a few books to Ephesians, chapter 2. And read, we'll be there, beginning in verse number 8. He says, for grace you've been saved through faith. A lot of you have memorized this. You know this by heart. For grace you've been saved through faith. Faith in what? Faith in the implanted word. The same implanted word that James says saves you. By faith you've been saved in by by grace you've been saved through faith in the implanted word, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. There's no doubt about that. Not of works. You're not saved by works, lest any man should boast. But then what look what he says beginning in verse number 10. For we are our own workmanship, his workmanship. He's the one who saves us. He's the one who sanctifies us, and he's the one who glorifies us. But watch what he says next. Created in Christ Jesus for what? Good works. Isn't that the same thing James is saying? When you receive the implanted word, then you become doers of the word. You're to begin to become doers of the word. Paul's saying the same thing. We're created, we're his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now let me ask you a question. If God prepared works for us to do, for his children to do, you think maybe we're going to do them? You better believe you're going to do them. You're going to do them. You're going to do them whether you like it or not. God has a way of making you do his work. He has a way of making you say, "Uncle I'm not going to go. People tell me I was called in the ministry and I just decided not to go. No, you weren't called to the ministry. You call the ministry, God will get you into the ministry. You'll make the choice at some point. It'll be the only job you can find. You'll go into the ministry. You'll go, you might go screaming and kicking, but you're going to go because he's prepared. If he's, that, that, God is sovereign. If he's prepared a work for you to do, you're going to do that work. Now, now, you know, we talked about this in Daniel, about how you pray. When you pray, when you pray, when you pray for this nation, you're praying for this nation. What's God's will for this nation? God's will for this nation is, is the very best. God's will for this nation is that the nation would be a Christian nation. But if it's not God's plan to be a Christian nation, then it's not going to be a Christian nation. But if it is, whether it's going to be a Christian nation whether you pray for it or not but at the same time God answers the prayers of his saints I mean Daniel was praying for the Israelites to go back to, out of captivity and back into to, uh, Israel back into the promised land and God said in 70 years they're going to go back into the promised land and Daniel prayed and guess what they went back into the promised land. Were they going back into the promised land one way or the other? Yeah, they were, after 70 years, God said they were going back to the promised land. But God took them back because of Daniel's prayer. We're told that. In chapter 9, the angel came to Gabriel and he said, As soon as you begin to pray for your nation, the command went out to restore Israel to the promised land. Is that not amazing? How one man prayed and the nation was restored to the promised land? Well, God's going to do what he's going to do. That's true, but he does it in answer to our prayers. And so we're his workmanship. And he's created us for good works that he foreordained before the foundation of the world that we're going to walk in those works. So you're going to walk in those works one day. And, and, And you might kick and scream for a while, but when God's ready, you're going to be doing what he's called you to do if you're truly a child of God. All right, so he... So what James tells us is the same thing that Paul's telling us. When we're saved, we begin to become doers of the word. Now, here's the problem. A lot of people in the church, and I'm not talking about Calvary Chapel, I'm talking about the church in general, are deceived. They're deceived. And that's why, just like John gives us first John, to show us, hey, you know, what it means to truly be a Christian. James does the same thing. He gives us this book to show us what it truly means to be a Christian. I mean, the book of Hebrews is all about drawing near to God and how you become a Christian and what it means to be a Christian. But but James shows us what we're supposed to look like when we're Christians. And we're supposed to look different from the rest of the world. And there's a lot of people who call themselves Christians who are deceived. Look what he says right there. But, but the doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourself. Now, why are people deceived? Let me tell you why most of the church is deceived. Because the church is not looking into the mirror. Man, you look into the mirror. Mirrors don't lie. You look into a mirror and the mirror will tell you just what you look like. But you know what a lot of people do? They put away the mirror. Because then you can do anything you want and you, you know, you're not looking into the mirror. You look into this mirror, you're not going to be deceived. So that's what James is saying here. Don't deceive yourself. Be sure that this word is implanted in you and that your soul is saved. How could I be sure? Let me tell you how I can be sure if I'm saved. I can ask myself when I look into this mirror, do my works line up with what this Mira teaches me what this word teaches me we're saved by grace, true but we're his workmanship and we're to be doing the works that he foreordained us to do before the foundation of the world and if I'm not doing any kind of work, that's why James says faith without works is dead then I very well might be deceiving myself if my works aren't lining up with with what this Bible teaches that I might be deceiving myself and I might not have the word of God implanted in me. So, at the very least, I should be be beginning to look a lot like Jesus. I should at least be beginning to look like him. I should be beginning to do the things that the word teaches us. And if I'm not, then I might not be saved. mean are you pastor you say that people can call themselves christians and they can come to church on sunday and every once in a while read their bible and still be deceived yes i'm saying that jesus spoke about those people in the pair of the sower remember what he said about the word he says in the parable of the sower he says the word was sown on the wayside what was the wayside the wayside when you throw a seed on the wayside, what are you doing? You're throwing it off to the side and it's considered worthless. It's not even going to be farmed. It's worthless. You know why? And nobody cares about it. And the, the he says, that when he interpreted that, he said that this represents the people who, who don't understand the word. And the reason they don't understand the word is because they don't really care about the word. And so it's just like seed thrown on the wayside and it's never going to take root. And then he speaks of seed that was sown on... Stony ground, seed that was sown on, on uh, uh, hard hearts. Man, I got to tell you, a lot of us have hard hearts. And and what happens when you got a hard heart? You receive the word with gladness at first, but then you because it's your heart's stone, the word doesn't take any roots, and you only endure for a short time, and then off they go. And here's the one that gets a lot of us. The seed, he talks about that was sown among thorns. And he says that represents those people who hear the word, but the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of righteousness chokes out the word. You know, a lot of us get into this word and maybe Sunday morning and that's it. And we spend the rest of the time in the world, the rest of the week, and it's choking out. What God's trying to teach us, man. How about me? I mean, sometimes I don't understand the word. A lot of people say the word's Greek to them. It is Greek. It's Hebrew too. Or my heart's pretty hard. I know a lot of people who call themselves Christians who have really hard-hearted hearts. And I know a lot of Christians who are very worldly. Very worldly. I mean, the world's the most important thing to them. Not, not the church, not the word, the world. And it chokes the word out. I mean, do you have hope? In that case, if you're worldly, if you got a hard heart, if you don't understand the word because you don't really care, do you, is there any hope for you? You know what? Here's the cool thing about the Word, about the parable of the sower. I'm a sower. If you're a teacher, you're a sower. I sow the seed, but I don't water the seed. I mean, maybe through my prayers, I help the seed to get watered, but I don't water the seed, and I don't break up the ground. I mean, my son tells me sometimes that, that, preaching the word the word in Lafayette's like trying to grow a farm out there on the asphalt but whose asphalt is it whose ground is it it's the lord's ground and he's the one who breaks up the ground he can take a stony heart and he can rip it up and make it into fertile soil he can take a worldly heart he can, he, can, he can strip away the things of the world i've been there he can strip those things away to where where you you want to receive the word. All it takes is for somebody to come to this implanted word with what? How does it? How did James say? With meekness. If you come to this word and you truly want to be saved, I don't care how hard hard hearted you are. I don't care how worldly you are. I don't care that you don't understand the word of God. God will break that ground up and he'll he'll fertilize that ground and water that ground and. And you'll receive the implanted word. Then he says in verse number 23. He says for if anyone is a hearer of the word. And not a doer. He's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself. Goes away. And immediately forgets what kind of man he was. How many of y'all looked at a mirror this morning when you got up? Everybody looked at a mirror this morning when they got up? Was it a pretty sight? I think it was Rodney Dangerville who said, "We all know mirrors don't lie. I'm just grateful they don't laugh.") <laughs> I woke up this morning and, and the first thing I did was brush my teeth and, and uh, looked in the mirror, and I was grateful that mirror didn't laugh. It wasn't a pretty sight at all. I mean, uh, my hair was a big mess, my, my uh, uh, Hairs receding, my uh, my skin was dry. I needed some lotion. I've uh, got wrinkles on my skin and and looked pretty bad. Uh, I mean, it was like the mirror cried out, "Fix that mess! Fix that mess!" So I did my best to fix it up. I put some oil on my face and some so I, I, I combed my hair, took a shower, and, and did the best I could. And I looked in the mirror as I left and. I said, "It still said, fix that mess." But you know, you get away from a mirror for a while, and all of a sudden, I feel like a young, good-looking, muscle-bound dude. (laughs) And what I and and the way I can keep that perception the rest of the day is to stay away from mirrors. (laughs) I don't get anywhere near a mirror. mirror, mirror, on the wall who's the fairest of them all? the mirror shouts it ain't, sure ain't you <laughs> you know that's why a lot of people stay away from the word of God because it's a mirror and they look at the mirror and say mirror, mirror, on the wall who's the fairest of them all? and the Bible screams out it sure ain't you it sure ain't you and it screams out fix that mess and when we're not in the word and people intentionally dodge the word we forget what we look like and what do we do then we begin to compare ourselves not to what the standard of the word but to what other people are doing oh those ISIS terrorists those Democrats whatever I'm joking about Democrats if you're a Democrat I mean we look at them and we say you know they look terrible you know I look pretty good compared to them but we're not We don't look so good. You stay in this Word, and this Word becomes a supernatural mirror. It will show you just how bad you look. But here's the good news. This supernatural mirror has the power to make you look a lot better if you'll get into the Word. You know, people dodge the Word because they don't want to see what they look like. And what they're saying is they don't want to really be changed. But this word will change you if you will get into the word. And then the last verse we'll look at today. Verse number 25. He says, But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the word, this one will be blessed literally in all he does. Get that promise? If you'll look into the perfect law of liberty, that's the mirror, and you'll continue in it and you're not a forgetful here, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in all he does. Hey, don't tell me James is a legalist, He's not a legalist at all. Listen to what he says here. He who looks into the perfect law of liberty will be blessed. What's the perfect law of liberty? It's the Bible. It's your Bible. It's, it's, it's the word of God. How does the word of God equate to liberty? Well, what did Jesus say in John chapter uh, 8, verse 32? He said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall do what? It shall set you free. As you gaze on this law of liberty, you're set free from the law of sin and death. That's what happens when you gaze on this Word. And, and you know what? It frees you. It gives you liberty to do everything you want to do. I'll I tell that to some people. they that, that say, Pastor, you can't tell people they can do anything they want to do. Yes, I can if they're truly born again. If they're in this law of liberty, they can do anything they want to do because what they want to do is what God planned before the foundation of the world for them to do. For those works that he prepared for him that we should walk in them and when we live in that freedom if you ever learn to live in that freedom you'll never get there if you're not in the word of God I can tell you right now you're either going to be legalistic or you're not going to be saved you get in the word of God it's going to supernaturally change you and you're going to be blessed in all that you do Look at what he says again. He says, but he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful here, but a doer of, Uh uh-oh, what does he say there? The work. Not works, the work. What's the work? What does he mean by the? What is the work? If you could say one thing that is the work, what would that work be? Well, you remember when the multitudes came to Jesus and they asked Jesus, what works must we do that we may do the work, the work of God. And what did Jesus say? This is the work that you believe on Him in whom He sent, that you believe on Me. That's the work. I mean, how do we believe? How do we believe? Well, we'll go back in the verse. He says, But he who looks, in order to believe, you've got to look. You know, people tell me they don't believe in the Word of God. Well, you know what? You haven't looked. If you look, you're going to believe. Now that word look is an interesting Greek word too. It only appears a few times in the New Testament. It's the same Greek word that's used in the book of Luke when Peter runs with John to the empty tomb on Easter Sunday. And, it, and it's translated differently there. If you look in your Bibles, it's in Luke, you don't have to look there now. But it says, he stooped down and gazed at the empty tomb. That's what it means to look. You stoop down and you gaze at the perfect law of liberty. Why does he say stoop down? Why is the stooping down important? Well, because that represents humbling yourself. How do we come to the word James said earlier? With what? With meekness. And so we stoop down and we humble ourselves in all meekness. And first, the thing we do when we're looking, when you're looking at the Word, the first thing you find when you're looking at the Word, and here's why a lot of people reject the Word and they don't want the Word, because the first thing you're going to see when you're looking at the Word, I'll tell you where God will take you, not to the Gospel. Everybody runs, says, read John 14 to, to people who aren't saved. That's not going to do a person who's not saved any good. Maybe, you know, in God's supernatural working it might, but, but where do they, where's the best place to take an unsaved person? You take them to the law. You take them to the law and you show them the law and you show them the details of the law. And you know what you do when you see the law? Man, you either proud and you say, I can do that, or you, like the Jews did, remember they said, well, all these things we can do? No, you can't do these things. When I see the law, you know what it makes me do? I gaze at the law, I stoop down. I humble myself and say, Woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. I can't keep this law. So we stoop down and we gaze at the law. What's the second thing we gaze at? We stoop down and we gaze at the cross. And you come to that cross standing up, you're never going to receive Christ. You know what that cross tells me? When I see that cross, that cross tells me that God Almighty Hung there for me to save me from my sins. I'm not standing at the cross. I'm going to stoop down at the cross and I gaze at the cross. And that's why Jesus said what He said in 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 John chapter three. He says, as the serpent was lifted in the up in the wilderness, and when the serpent was lifted up in the wilderness, when the snakes were biting the people, what did they had to do? Did they have to do to get the snakes to quit biting them? What did they have to do? They had to stoop down and look at Nahuston, the snake on the pole. So Jesus said, as the snake was lifted up in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. That whosoever believeth in him, whosoever looks at that cross and stoops down and says, that's the only means of my salvation. The law is holy. I can't keep the law. And the only way I can be saved is by looking at that pole. Sounds silly to some people, but that's the only way you can be saved and you stoop down and you come to the cross humbly and you say, Lord, please save me. And then the rest of the way we're gazing at these precepts, these glorious precepts that are contained in the word of God. The things that we're looking at here in James, the things that we looked at in Hebrews, the things that we looked at in in all the epistles, the things we looked at in the Old Testament. We gaze at the precepts and we stoop down And we're grateful and we're thankful for all God has done. And we're also also in awe that he would save a wretch like me. And we realize that we need a higher power to help us keep these precepts. We can't keep these precepts on our own. And we look into the word. Look at what he says here in verse number 25. We look into the word not as a forgetful hearer, Not forgetting. That means we take this word to heart. And through the process of taking this word to heart, we become doers of the word. How do we become doers of the word? We gaze upon these things and we believe what we read. And we're changed. Looking at this supernatural mirror, I look into this supernatural mirror and I'm changed. Paul says the same thing over in, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. He says, but we all with an unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. As we look into this mirror, as we look into this perfect law of liberty, we're being transformed into the same image of Jesus Christ from glory to glory. We begin, when we get saved, we begin to become doers of the word. We begin to to become changed it's glory upon glory as we're changed and we're finally doing the works that God foreordained before the foundation of the world that we're to do just as by the spirit of the Lord Paul says by the spirit it's the word and the spirit it's the logos working through us that changes us and if we're changed we're blessed in what? in all that we do You teach a text like this, and and this is why James is such a practical book, but he hits a high plane right here. And and he he kind of takes you up on the mountain, and he's going to slam us down back in the valley next week. Because he wants us to see what we should look like controlling our tongues, helping widows and orphans. That's the way, the things we should be doing if we're doers of the word. But he first shows us that the change comes not by doing the works, but by gazing upon this mirror, upon this supernatural mirror that changes us. Someone might say, Pastor, you know, I want to be blessed in all that I do. But what you just said, you know, change from glory to glory, gazing in a mirror, we're changed from glory. That just doesn't sound very... Practical to me. You know why it doesn't sound practical to you? Because it is a supernatural process. It's a process that you can't explain. But it's a process that's as as real as your hand is real. It it works. Jesus described how it works over in Mark chapter 4. Flip with me there for just a minute. We'll finish up right there. In Mark chapter 4, right after the parable of the sower that we touched on a little bit earlier, listen to what he says in Mark chapter 4, verse 26. He said, and he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground and should sleep by night and rise by day and the seed... Should sprout and grow. He himself does not know how. Do we know how a person is changed from glory to glory? No, we don't know how. And in the kingdom of God's like that. For the earth yields crops by itself. The farmer doesn't yield the crop. The farmer does the work. The work. He doesn't yield the crop. He gets the weeds out. He plants the seeds, but he doesn't yield the crop. But the crop comes up anyway. First the blade, then the head, and after that a full grain in the uh, uh, the full grain in the head, the fruit. But when the grain ripens, immediately he goes to work and he harvests. He puts it in the sickle because the harvest has come. I mean, I mean, does a farmer go out to his field and he, he quits farming because he says, you know what, I don't see how I can take this watermelon seed and plant it in the ground and this vine's going to grow up? And these great big watermelons are going to come out of that little bitty seed. And it's going to produce more seeds that I can plant more watermelons with. I don't understand that, so I'm not going to do it. That's another that way a lot of people approach the Word of God. I don't understand that. I don't believe that's going to happen, so I'm not going to do it. If farmers took that attitude, we would all starve to death. No, you've got to believe that, that, that these things can happen. And here's, here's what happens. When the farmer plants his seed, he doesn't know how it's going to happen, and it's watered. When the rains come and it's watered and the sunlight hits the the plants and it all grows up and watermelons grow out of that little bitty seed, he's blessed in all he does. That's how it works with the kingdom of God. That's how salvation works. That's how sanctification works. That's how glorification works. You don't know how it works. But because you don't know how it works, you don't say, well, I'm not going to do it because I don't know how it works. That's insane. The former operates by faith. We operate by faith. But let me tell you what happens. The former's blessed in all he does. And if you believe this, if you really believe that this word changes you from glory to glory into the image of Jesus Christ, you know what you're going to do? You're going to make it the most important thing in your life. And if it's not the most important thing in your life, let me tell you why it's not the most important thing in your life. Because you're worldly. And you, you're being choked to death. And you're not being changed into the image of Jesus Christ. And you're full of filth and wickedness. Look into the mirror and you'll see it. And the only way to be changed is to get into this word. But you've got to believe that supernaturally it will change you. If you will invest yourself in this word, if you'll invest yourself in the word, Jesus Christ. And you know what I found out? It works. It works. It blesses me in all I do when I'm in the word. I get away from the word for a time. I'm fortunate. I have to get in the word every week. I would be just like a lot of you. Mine would be gathering dust. I don't think so. I say that, but I really love the word. I have a passion for the word. I have a passion for the Lord. And I want to be in the word. And if you knew me before I was saved, you would say, boy, God's produced a lot of watermelons. (laughs) Because there was nothing but thistles and thorns and wickedness before he started changing me with his word. I think it's pretty cool what the word can do. You know, I look into the word and I say, mirror, mirror, on the wall. Who's the fairest of them all? And you know what the mirror says? Not you, George. Jesus Christ is the fairest of them all. But you know what it also says? He says that if I look, keep looking in that mirror and you keep looking at the fairest of them all, he's going to change you from glory to glory. And you're going to be blessed in all that you do. Man, how foolish we are to look at all the junk instead of looking into this. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for your word. Lord, we we are so blessed. So blessed to have the very word of God. To know the word of God. Lord, if there's anyone here who really doesn't know you who really isn't into your word Lord issue a challenge to them today to test you on this to test you and see that if you if they get into the word show them Lord just how you'll change them Lord because your word never comes back void we're told it does its work if we'll just take the time to get into it if we truly believe we come to this word meekly. Help us all to do that, Lord, so that we'll be changed from glory to glory to the image of our Savior, Jesus Christ. It's in his blessed name that I pray.